Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jonathan Van Maren, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. Today I'm going to be talking with one of the best researchers and historians in the socially conservative movement. Some of you may have heard of her. Her name is Dr. Judith Reisman, and she works at the Liberty University School of Law as a research professor and the director of the Child Protection Institute. She has been a pioneer in exposing the work of Dr. Alfred Kinsey, his fraudulent sex, science research, and education. Those of you who haven't heard of Alfred Kinsey are missing one of the fundamental pieces of what made our century the way it was. Alfred Kinsey has had an impact on almost every corner of society. He has informed modern law. His statistics are used by the LGBT movement to buttress their points. The false 10% of people being LGBT statistic was taken from Kinsey's junk research. On and on and on. I've written a column about Alfred Kinsey that you can find over at LifeSiteNews.com called Alfred Kinsey Was a pervert and a sex criminal, which uh, the title sums everything up, but it details exactly how his work was exposed as fraudulent by Dr. Judith Reisman, who is interestingly also a distinguished senior fellow at the Inter-American Institute, a scientific advisor at the California Protective Parents Association, the president of the Institute for Media Education, and she's been in a media analysis writing for WorldNet Daily, Salvo Magazine. She was a principal investigator for the pioneering U.S. Department of Justice, Juvenile Justice Study, Images of Children, Crime and Violence in Playboy, Penthouse, and Hustler. She authored Kinsey, Sex and Fraud, Soft Porn Plays Hardball, Partner Solicitation Language as a Reflection of Male Sexual Orientation, Kinsey, Crimes and Consequences, and Sexual Sabotage. In 2013, Liberty Council republished Kinsey, Crimes and Consequences, 4th edition as Stolen Honor, Stolen Innocence. Additionally, she has been a scientific consultant to four U.S. Department of Justice administrations, the U.S. Department of Education, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. She is listed in the Who's Who in Science and Engineering, International Who's Who in Sexology, International Who's Who in Education, and on and on it goes. Based on her work, the German Medical Tribune and the British medical journal The Lancet demanded that the Kinsey Institute be investigated for deliberately covering up massive sex crimes against children and fraudulent science. Again, if you don't know the impact Alfred Kinsey had on bringing the sexual revolution to America and then across the Western world, you should know this story. Dr. Judith Reisman, who did the initial research in exposing him, will be detailing some of what went on, but I also detail his crimes in the first chapter of my 2016 book, The Culture War, and I've also written an entire column on that for LifeSite News, which can be found at LifeSiteNews.com. So here's my conversation with pioneering scholar and researcher, Dr. Judith Reisman. So my first question would be, give us give us a bit of, of your background, your story, how you became an academic uh, doing research into Alfred Kinsey, the sexual revolution. Um, it's quite a long story at this point, but let's start at the beginning. How When did you begin your path to where you are now? Well, I suppose it was in uh, 1969. Yeah, I was doing my PhD. Well, I had been a songwriter, you know, and a singer, uh, wrote for Captain Kangaroo, uh, which people don't remember, you know. Right. (laughs) Yeah, 
Yeah, ABC, NBC, CBS. I was working for commercial uh, programs doing doing uh, creative work, yeah. And um, then uh, I moved into academe in 1960, end of, end of, ni- end of 1960s, when um, my daughter had been sexually abused uh, she's in 1960. She was sexually abused by the boy upstairs. And I was trying to figure out what had happened. He had been, you know, he came from an intact family. So, uh, you know, I thought, well, good heavens. Anyway, they got rid of him, sent him to England before I found out. And uh, then I find out that um, he had been abusing other kids in the neighborhood. But He was in therapy, and it was required, mandated, so to speak, that the therapist did not reveal uh, him his abuse, okay? So he was out on the street, and uh, nobody knew, and uh, my daughter was one of his victims, right? So um, that sent me back to university to figure out what was going on when I was, I went to Case Western Reserve. University in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, in the process, I began getting involved in in the issue of pornography as well. Uh, well, actually, I didn't know what I was looking for. Right. I was originally just, you know, trying to track what were the cultural influences, and so I had been concentrating on television. But then I, you know it turned out there was more going on. So when you started looking into uh, the issue of pornography, like there's a, there's a lot of studies that have come out about pornography, even this year, sort of talking about the damage of it. And there's a lot of people who think that we didn't really know how bad pornography was for a long time. So when you embarked on this research, like you were one of the pioneers in researching the impact of the sexual revolution and the different aspects of it. So what were your first discoveries, and when did you start realizing that these things connected? Because uh, I want to get to to your work on Kinsey, but that's not where you started. You started by really looking into the dangers posed by pornography before it was even an online threat. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was looking at pornography because when I was at Case Western Reserve, I went into this class um, on media, and one of the boys was producing a pornographic video as part of his degree. And uh, he was using the pictures from uh, the magazines that were available at that time. We're talking about, you know, mid-60s, right? So this wasn't exactly what you see today. Right. And um, so, and the responses of the students uh, really concerned me. I thought, good heavens, you know, this is, what is going on here? Yeah, these, these, anyway, I, I go into that in one of my books, I think sexual sabotage or something. And, um, but we don't have time here. But that got me quite curious as to, what was going on with this pornography all these kids were using at the time. These were girls and boys, uh, men and women in college, um, and they were basing their views of human sexuality and of themselves, their, who, whether they were attractive or not, 
uh, you know, based on these, on Playboy, Penthouse, Hustler, um, well, Hustler wasn't out yet, uh, Playboy and Penthouse and, you know, other stuff. So um, that got me curious about it and interested, putting it mildly. And so I started doing research on that and did uh, presented a paper in Wales at the British Psychological Conference on Love and Attraction um, on pornography. Well, actually, on on children in uh, Playboy magazine and Penthouse, and on the fact that they were promoting uh, children as sexual targets. It was child pornography in those magazines, and this was they had uh, Playboy had been doing this since the fifties. They had been promoting children as sexual targets since the 50s uh, in in first in cartoons small black and white then they moved to color uh, first boys who were just observing and then they moved playboy moved to using girls and then uh, who were being uh, sexually uh, abused by men in cartoons and then they moved from that to photographs, uh, Brooke Shields, um, let's see, various other, Jodie Foster, and, and a lot of foreign girls. Um, so, so they began to introduce, introduce, you know, America and American men, college guys, because that became a college, you know, a college magazine. Right. Uh, without their knowledge. Uh, to to assaulting children. Uh, by the way, I won the case in the Netherlands in 1994 when Playboy sued me uh, for for uh, libel and slander uh, when I said that they had been promoting children as sexual targets and doing child pornography since the early 70s, 50s. Yeah, and uh, they said you know that I was slandering, and so the judge ruled said no her 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 data are quite accurate uh because they sent him all the pictures and all the dates and so on and so uh that's what they were doing they were doing that to american grandfathers at the, now and fathers and um and uh, nobody really knew it nobody analyzed that uh so and it was in wales that i met one of the canadian a psychologist who came up to me and said, okay, he said, I did not believe it, but your slides were very clear. He said, I, what you showed on those slides, I realized I had in my brain. I had no idea that I had these images in my brain. And he said, if that's happening to me, what's happening to the rest of the world? Because, by the way, it was an international magazine. Uh, and he said, well, and if you really care about child sexual abuse, you have to look at the Kinsey reports. So that was okay. my beginning. I said, yeah, why? Yeah. yeah. And he said, um, I worked with Kinsey and Pomeroy, his co-author, and one of them is a pedophile and the other is a homosexual. I said, which is which? And he said, read and discover. So before we get in, into the Kinsey reports, which we're going to spend quite a bit of time on, uh, this this discussion of, of how the sexualization of children is pushed by the porn industry, 
uh, is one that most people aren't aware of. Um, I've I've been to some of the same conferences you have put on by the National Center uh, to combat sexual exploitation, uh, where where like pornography is discussed ad nauseum in terms of the impact that it has on sexual violence. The research done by Dr. Mary Ann Layden and Dr. Gail Dines, and so these. T- Topics are discussed pretty thoroughly, but this idea that uh, pornography, starting with Playboy, which is now considered a borderline innocent nostalgic type of magazine, was already blurring the lines between adult sexuality and children, is something most people will not have considered. So maybe just give us sort of a brief outline. How has the porn industry in the past and today um, promoted this idea of children's sexuality? Because I don't think, I think people, even people who think pornography is bad, don't realize how horrifying and evil it is. Well, people don't realize they've been conditioned. This they have absolutely we've conditioned people. By the way, I'm seldom invited. I'm given. I'm given. Uh, I was given a big award by that organization a couple years ago. But I'm seldom. I'm not invited to to be a keynoter there because my research really goes into things that apparently they don't want to go into. Gail Dines was my student, by the way. She told me that, yeah. uh, Yeah. So, no, and let me me begin at the beginning. People don't realize this is, we are culturally conditioned. It's a contagion. We are dealing with a contagion. That contagion spreads back to your grandfather. Uh, When he began to see... Uh, image, he was looking at images, he thought, of girly, you know, cutesy pie things. And he was going to be a rebel. Uh, he was going to, you know, you know, rebel against his religious upbringing. And so he bought Playboy. That's as, as innocent as, as it could be. You know, he was a college student, your, your grandpa, and our great grandpa. And uh, he starts looking at these pictures, and the, he's looking at the sex, the, the the bodies of the females, the adult females, having no realizing, not realizing at all, that the cartoons that he is also embracing are more powerful in his brain, in his body, and in his memory, even, than the images of the women. Or, yeah, they were women in those days, you know. Now, the original images were actually so interesting because um, the original Playboy images had large, uh, sort of huge breasts that stood way up, you know, because uh, men had not seen naked women that much, you know, so it took a while, and you, you began, until you began seeing sort of more normalish. Uh, bodies, but that didn't last too long because they airbrushed everything out. Right. And they airbrushed, yeah, and and they not only that, but they lied about the uh, the vital statistics. I did some research on that too. They would lie completely. They would say the this beautiful uh, seductive woman had uh, thirty thirty eight. 22, 34, something like that. It was not possible. She did not have those statistics. Uh, those were not her vital statistics, but they lied about that. You know, and women began in those days evaluating their, their own bodies and men evaluating their wives and their girlfriends by these kinds of bizarre statistics, which never were real. And they start, you know, looking at their bodies and trying to do everything they could 
to resemble them, but you never re- the the Playboy centerfold never resembled them. She was airbrushed out. So and then the you know the bust and, and the hips were were made, and the the legs were airbrushed to be longer and be narrower, and so on, and to resemble both a combination of of a teen and an adult woman often the adult woman was the upper side of the upper part of the body the at first and then the the lower part of the body would be airbrushed out to to resemble the teenager then they blended these these images these there were there the amount of work done on this is by the way identified in the research i did for the department of of juvenile justice and delinquency prevention. It's all on my website. Uh, images of children, crime, and violence in Playboy, Penthouse, and Hustler. And in in that research that I did, we we analyzed the the impact of cartoons as opposed to images. As and we uh, also looked at um, um, what we called. Um, pseudo children that is they there would be combination of images so that these appeared to be kids but they weren't kids because they were adults and we can conf- you confuse the guys who are viewing to the extent that they no longer understand the boundaries between uh, adult and child bodies and they're lusting quote unquote after children because Novelty becomes eventually all that counts. Is she, you know, that's why they change, you know, the the images of the centerfolds constantly. You don't ever have the same centerfold. So these are constantly changed. Everything's constantly changed. And the, the blurring of adult and child is deliberate, very deliberate. And the picking of those cartoons, by the way, is very deliberate. Thousands and thousands of cartoons are submitted every month, were submitted every month to uh, Playboy. And Hefner, who, by the way, read Kinsey when he was in college, and he had been a virgin like most guys at the time, and he said, oh, my gosh, you know, everybody's doing all this stuff, and I'm the only one. And so he said, I, Kinsey was a scientist. I will be his pamphleteer. And so Hefner stepped up and started reproducing what Kinsey had been producing in his lies in sexual behavior in the human male. That take that's a, a sort of a perfect segue from from the issue of pornography into Alfred Kinsey. Let's start off basic because uh, I have a chapter on on Alfred Kinsey and Margaret Mead in my in my book that was released three years ago, The Culture War. And one of the number one things I hear after people have read that book, I heard this again actually just last week, is I had no idea who that who Kinsey was. And when I found out who he was, so much of what I learned in university, so much of what I see around me makes a lot of sense. Um, I learned about Alfred Kinsey when I was taking American history at university, and he was used as an example by the professor to prove that the sexual revolution had never happened because Kinsey had proven that we were all acting like this behind the scenes anyway. So to start off, before we really get into the story of how your research unfolded, who was Alfred Kinsey, why was he a huge deal, and what did his book say? Okay, well... 
Alfred Kinsey was presented to the world, first of all, as a upstanding married conservative man, bow tie, crew cut, um, smoking a pipe, which he never did smoke, really. He just posed that way. But anyway, he was presented to the world by Indiana University, which is named after him right now. They have an institute uh, named the Kinsey Institute and named after him. Uh, he was presented the world as a married guy with four children, very straight, very conservative, went to church on Sundays and so on, uh, very respectable, right? Well, he was, and they, the uh, heads of the university at the time knew this. They knew full well that he was quite the opposite. He was not only a bisexual, he's fundamentally homosexual, he was a pedophile. He was, uh, I'll explain that shortly. Uh, he was a sadomasochistic pedophile, in fact. He was a pornography addict. He was um, a masturbatory addict, of course. Um, he was, uh, let's see what else, uh, I don't remember, but of course an adulterer and all that sort of thing. I don't think you, um, need, I don't and, think you need more to prove your point. <laughs> oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And we, I, I, you know, when, when the, when the fellow said to me at, in Wales that I should look at uh, Kinsey as a pedophile or as a homosexual, I went back to the university and I started, well, I actually couldn't find anything there, but I went to a dirty bookstore and picked up the, at the, in those years and picked up his books. And when I looked at chapter five and I read sexual behavior in the human male in chapter five, and I looked at what he said about the rapes of these children, I said, holy smokes, this guy has to be a sadomasochistic pedophile. Nobody in a million years could describe children fainting and having convulsions and fighting to get away from who he called their partner, which was another one of your first uses of, you know, um, <laughs> sort of current current uh, current information about how you define genders um it's, he he called a partner the guy who was an adult who was raping these children and i said nobody nobody could do that except a sadomasochistic pedophile which got me started on the research but anyway so he was described as as all these good things and the whole publicity around him at the time was that he was, uh, you know, he decided he wanted to see what was going on because his students were asking him questions about sex and he couldn't give them, you know, any, any real answers because there wasn't any real research, which was also bunk. There certainly was research, but anyway. Uh, and so he decided he had to do the research and find out what everybody was doing sexually except that nobody noticed that when he did his research, um, 86% of his people that he was talking about were abnormal deviants because he did it, all, pretty much all of it, during World War II. And during World War II, soldiers or anybody in the field, anybody in uh, the uh, war industry, which everybody else at home was, uh, largely, nobody, uh, excuse me, could talk to him about their sex lives. Nobody could talk to him. 
at all. So he had no people, even in his list of the people he he interviewed, he did not list uh, Navy, uh, you know, Air Force, right. um, you know, Army, you know, or anything, because he couldn't interview them. So who did he interview? Nobody seemed to notice. He interviewed who was left. Well, who was left? The homosexual community, quote-unquote, was never allowed in the in the service in those years, so they were available. Uh, prisoners were available. Um, sex offenders, you know, who were not in prison were available. He claimed he in, he said he interviewed one thousand four hundred sex offenders. Excuse me. So all these people, uh, deviants, deviants became the basis of what he called sexual behavior in the human male. And when I gave my presentation in Wales, no, not Wales, uh, in um, in Jerusalem, Fifth World Congress uh, of Sexology, years later, a couple years later, uh, in 1980, when I gave my presentation, I said, you know, if he had called his book Sexual Behavior in the Deviant, you know, male, American male, that would have been legitimate. But he didn't. He said it was sexual behavior in human male, and that was a whole different ballgame. And started the uh, sex, what started the sexual revolution. So explain how this started the sexual revolution, right? So these two books came out: uh, sexual behavior in the human male, sexual behavior in the human female. Time magazine said at the time when these books came out that they went off like an atom bomb. They sold hundreds of thousands of copies in the first year after release. Because basically when these books came out, uh, the American people were led to believe that virtually nobody was living by the Judeo-Christian standard that everybody had more or less accepted uh, as the standard by which natural law was governed, um, which was was kind of crazy. It said most men were using prostitutes. Uh, between 10 and 20 percent uh, of men engaged in homosexual behavior. A huge number of men were engaging in sexual acts with animals. These facts were presented to the public as the reality of what went on behind closed doors, which is why my history professor told me, uh, that the sexual revolution had never happened because he said uh, Kinsey revealed to us that all of this had been going on the whole time, that this was basically just a conspiracy yeah. of silence. Kinsey came along, yeah. broke the conspiracy of silence, and suddenly we started talking about the stuff we were all doing. But you make the point in your book, Sex, Lies, and Kinsey, as well as your other books, uh, that what Kinsey said was happening was objectively not happening, that his books were bunk, that his data was essentially fictitious, and that instead he was trying to do, well, he was trying to do with his books what Peter Hitchens has said about polls, that polls are not used to gauge public opinion but to shape it, uh, that Kinsey's, Kinsey's work was intended to trigger a sexual revolution as opposed to indicate the presence of one. Of course, Kinsey uh, almost immediately started to say that his data proved that any laws restricting sexual behavior should be removed. So what did he really say, and how did the American people react to it? Well, as you pointed out, he said that 10% of the Ameri- of American men, 10 to 37%, uh, had engaged in homosexual activity to the point of orgasm. He said that um, he he claimed to interview 4,400. I mean, it's so ridiculous when you even think about it. But all right, 
Fourth, he claimed he interviewed 4,441 women, right? And of all those women, none of them, well, one, one, had had ever been raped to the extent at all of, of any kind of harm. So I don't know where, the, where Me Too would be with all that, you know, with these kinds of data. 4,441 women and nobody had ever been harmed by a rape. And yet, of course, he listed... Uh, well, he listed in many places in his book all the children that were being raped, but he didn't count that as rape. He counted that as, as pleasure. So therefore, nobody was raped. Um, so, and he said that, um, let's see, what else? Oh, yeah, well, of course, the 69% of men had used prostitutes. He claimed that adultery that was common amongst women and men in those in the World War II years and preceding those years, and that, um, and that uh, you know, abortion was normal uh, for, he said, 84% of single women who were pregnant had aborted that, with no harm to them at all. Okay. Uh, he influenced the abortion movement enormously. There was a major book on abortion that put out by some feminist group that gave credit to Kinsey as being the, the thoroughfare for abortion. Um, yeah, he, he, what he did was to try to normalize what he was doing, because everything he was doing was illegal and criminal and condemned as immoral by Americans. Yeah. So that was the whole idea. Uh, and, and of course, the main thing was he was supported by the Rockefeller Foundation. The Rockefeller money, uh, formed the, the basis for his, uh, for his popularity, they arranged uh, with Kinsey Institute to get him the kind of massive coverage that he got. It was like a, it was like a Walt Disney Blitz, you know, in terms of propaganda and publicity. Uh, yes, Time Magazine had him on the cover. Well, who arranged that? Uh, Collier Magazine had him on the cover. That was a very popular magazine at the time. Who who arranged that? That wasn't arranged by uh, just by the Kinsey Institute. Not it wasn't Kinsey Institute didn't even exist by the uh, by Indiana University. That that this was this was all Rockefeller money in order to establish the model penal code. Um, which would be the first model penal code institute for, to um, institute, oh gosh, anyway, the first model penal code created on uh, on sexual behavior, 1955, model penal code. So what happened was Kinsey got investigated where they almost got him. They almost caught him in in 1954. Uh, the uh, the Reese Committee uh, in uh, uh, Foundations, um, what's Foundations? That was that's the name of the book. But the Reese Committee was in was in a position. They were investigating the philanthropies: Rockefeller, Carnegie, um, Ford, and and one of the others uh, for their anti-American uh, activities. And uh, one of the big anti-American activities that they were investigating was Rockefeller's money in the Kinsey Institute, I mean, for Kinsey. Now, uh, they were allowed to investigate everything 
about Rockefeller and found all kinds of anti-American activity under him, under them, under the foundation. But they could never, they were not allowed to investigate Kinsey. J. Carroll Reese was the, in charge of it. He was told, if, if you want to look at Kinsey, we will pull all your money. Every penny of it is going to be taken away, and you can no longer do the congressional investigation. Amazing, isn't that? And uh, so, so the file on Kinsey, quote, never saw, and I'm quoting, never saw the light of day, end quote. In the meantime, Kinsey had run away to... Um, to uh, uh, not court, no, someplace I've forgotten where, um, and because he he was afflicted with uh, the result of his many years of of uh, dangerous sexual activity, which are now promoted all over the country, all over the world, and he was suffering from orchitis, which is a uh, testicle in inflammation of his genital organs. Uh, to the extent that it it caused enormous pain, enormous problems, and between that and him sleeping with his or having sex with all of his not all with his um, uh, co-authors and his students and his subjects, I mean that was really objective, objective uh, research. I must say, having sex with his subjects, uh, he was developing. Of course, he picked up um, venereal diseases and whatnot. So he died a little younger than he intended and in in great pain. Um, And it is that that kind of sexuality, the masturbatory pornography addicted, because everybody in his group had to appear in, in the pornography that he produced, including his wife, this guy was a sexual psychopath, uh, no question about it. A sexual psychopath. He, he qualifies in all standard uh, explanations of what a psychopath is and what a sexual psychopath is. And he, of course, was promoted, hand-picked by the Rockefeller Foundation to attempt to destroy Judeo-Christian belief system, which he has done a pretty good job at. So... Most of this came out later, of course. When the book first, the books, I should say, uh, the two books first came out, how did they trigger the sexual revolution? So uh, you're you're telling us the story as you uncovered it in later years. But in the meantime, these books had been accepted at face value by the American population and by the American politicians, Mm -hmm. at least most of them. So how did these books lead to the triggering of the sexual revolution so that people understand just how significant what he did was because a lot of people might listen to this and say, okay, um, so what we have is, is a, is a terrible man who did terrible research and then wrote two books about it. That's a, that <laughs> there's a lot of people who fit that bill. Why was Kinsey so significant? Well, I think the first thing was his backing. Uh, he was, he was being backed by the Rockefeller foundation and the Rockefeller foundation had, we said, handpicked him, handpicked him, to make the difference in our society. And everybody regarded science in those years as the, uh, this was what saved us in World War II. This is what saved the country. Science did. And he was portrayed as an objective scientist, absolutely objective scientist. Again, remember, he's a bow tie 
um, married man. Um, you know, he he uses his wife as a what they call a beard. Uh, so nobody is going to suspect that he has ulterior motives. So he's serving the Rockefeller Foundation. They they have been very thrilled with him. They they were thrilled with him until the and okay, and then Hefner comes along. Hefner reads Kinsey's book because he's being taught in all the colleges. He's being taught in all our colleges. All right, so. It's not just you. Hefner reads his book in 1953, and he says that, oh, my gosh, I've been lied to all this time. I am going to start a a whole, I will be his pamphleteer. So Hefner kicks off the pornography revolution. Kinsey kicked off the scientific revolution, per se, sex science, right? Hefner steps in and moves that out into the general population and then from there into the global population. And though his magazine carries the Kinsey themes, the Kinsey anti uh saying that everybody was all uh you know, they were lying, they were all hypocrites, your mother, your grandfather and so on. They were never telling the truth. So that starts the pornographic revolution, right? So you've got this being taught first at the college level. Then it's then Kinsey is taught at the high school level. Then Kinsey is taught at the grammar school level in sex education. So he he spreads his venom, if you will, out into all aspects of our lives. The model penal code says is the is the model penal code was was named by Kennedy in the decision on sodomy uh, in 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 2013 I think it was if I'm not mistaken when um, when intact uh, versus Texas whatever that one was uh, Lawrence versus Texas that model penal code says well. Kinsey has proven in 1955 model penal code that the majority of our guys have experienced sodomy, have have played, you know, have, this is and our women as well. So since that's the case, we are going to eliminate the laws against sodomy. Now, what happens in the law happens in the classroom. There's another issue. That is, sex education has been standing on Kinsey and and his and his uh, fraudulent data since 1958, since the first, since they began. You all have to get people to read my books, or at least go on the YouTube and view the Kinsey syndrome. Um, view uh, Kinsey's pedophiles. We've there have been a couple of powerful. Um, books, uh, not books, videos on this, on documentaries on this kind of thing, which are impossible. This is impossible to just describe in a thumbnail. I, I can never do it. Right. Um, yeah. Well, here let's let's <laughs> let, let, let me give you a short narrative and see if see if this rings accurate. Just to pull together everything you've been saying for the listeners. So what we have is Alfred Kinsey, uh, who was a a, a zoologist uh, specializing in gall wasps, 
pulled together a team of researchers in the emerging field of sexology, uh, supposedly interviews thousands of normal people and produces two books, human, uh, Sexuality in the Human Male and Sexuality in the Human Female. Uh, Hugh Hefner reads these books, uh, calls himself Kinsey's pamphleteer, starts Playboy magazine, which of course triggers uh, Penthouse and Hustler and then metastasizes into the sort of stage, stage four contagion that, that we are now enduring today. Also, what Kinsey did by claiming that the vast majority of the American people were engaging in sexual behavior that at that point in time was illegal, um, not even to say immoral, uh, convinced an entire generation of young people that their parents had been lying to them in terms of the uh, Judeo-Christian standard that they had promoted, thus disenfranchising essentially an entire generation from their parents and triggering the sexual revolution that we saw unfold after uh, in the consequent two decades. Is that roughly accurate? Beautiful, except that there was no field of human sexuality education or no field of human research in sexuality as a field until Kinsey. Right. Yeah? right. So, yes, exactly right. And and what happened? You know, kid, the, the greatest generation never talked about their experiences. They didn't come. See, Tom Brokaw actually has been the best person who has written in about this, you know? They, they talked to, to about their wives and their girlfriends. I'm not talking about, yes, there were weird guys, of course, there were abusive people in the field, I mean, in the, in the, in that generation as well, but the majority were not at all. And, and they talked about their wives and their girlfriends as sweethearts. They waited as long as they could. They, they got married in, in astronomical numbers because they never knew if they were going to live or die. They had babies, the baby bo- you know, boomers when they came back. They, their lives were spent building. They were, tra- you know, PTS, they, they didn't know about post-traumatic stress in those years. We just know that everybody was traumatized. And trying to survive in that milieu of trying to survive, Kinsey and his coterie steps in, says they were all hypocrites and liars, and we get Woodstock, 65, 60, what was it, 64, 69, whatever it was, and the celebration of the hypocrisy of our parents. Yeah, I And think, we uh... know, right? We know the truth. And, you know, flower power and all that kicks off. Yep, that was the beginning of today. Yeah, I think the way David Frum put it was that uh, the exchange of values after the Kinsey Revolution was from a generation uh, that found it loyal and beautiful and sacrificial to die in the mud of Waddle Canal was exchanged by a generation that thought it was uh, courageous and good to fornicate in the mud of Woodstock which I thought was a, a fairly succinct yeah. appraisal of those two generations. That. So That's great. Yeah, is exactly correct. And that is what happened, you know? It is what happened. And uh, the laws, absolutely. Oh, remember, anything that's legal can be taught in the classroom. So not only that, but yes, part of the Amer- you know, American Law Institute model penal code was the next version, the next cut, that that obscenity, which was against the law and is against the law, right? Obscenity could be allowed in classrooms, in kindergarten, anywhere. 
so long as it was under the rubric of an education, quote-unquote, education. So you could bring obscene materials into the classroom, which people have been doing for years, decades, conditioning the children to view each other. Look, we've, we've got 13,000 kids abusing kids in schools roughly every year. The, the uh, AP did an outstanding analysis of children abusing children. Our women are sexually abusing. Our female teachers are sexually abusing children. This had never happened in the history of this country. We have never had this kind of contagion. And that's what it is. It's been a contagion. So one of the stories that I, I want to take a look at uh, before the end of this podcast is is how you uncovered this because there's the story of what of what Kinsey did and the impact he had, which we've we've just taken a look at. But the, an in, another interesting cultural story, quite frankly, is when you started to do your research, which then got reproduced in several books about Alfred Kinsey. You were attacked by the Kinsey Institute. There was a lot of resistance. Uh, to what you were highlighting, even though I, I should point out for the listeners that much of what you covered in your books has now been confirmed by mainstream Kinsey biographers who are reviewed in places like the New York Times and even referenced in like biopics starring Liam Neeson. But at the time that your research was coming out, you were enormously targeted by by the Kinsey Institute and by uh, the secular commentators who wanted to protect his legacy. So tell us a bit of, of what that journey was like when you were told to dig into Kinsey. You started digging into Kinsey and producing the sort of research that we've just discussed. What, what was that experience like for you? Well, yeah, it was, it was uh, I had three congressional investigations, three, three. Nobody ever had three congressional investigations, yeah? Uh, to, to try and destroy my research. The Kinsey Institute, of course, attacked me. The university that I was working at, American University, was attacking me right and left. I didn't know why. Um, uh, I was being attacked by Congress, you know, uh, and, um, and, and uh, actually my work was undermined, absolutely undermined, um, by even by the Department of Justice and the FBI, who I had been working with. So there was a lot of money behind that, you know, those efforts, and there still is. Uh, we are still trying to get the Kinsey Institute investigated. Uh, we almost got that, you know, got them investigated in 1994, uh, but but the uh, the fellow who was carrying the water on that got really knocked out of uh, out of the political arena very quickly. So there's been enormous efforts to shut me down. But I I take it not as just me. Uh, the effort started way back with uh, with um, Carol Reese uh, when they had the congressional investigation of of Kinsey's research almost had it had an investigation of his research. And a lot is dependent. I realized after a while, and the universities have been, who the universities which have become complete, uh, completely captured by the socialist, Marxist, blather, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, they, they have been 100% on board. I am working, thank God, at at Liberty University, um, Jerry Falwell, Dr. Falwell, 
of you can go on the on the uh, YouTube and there's an interview he a fabulous interview in 19, in 1988 between Dr. Falwell and I in which he he brings the hammer down on the Department of Justice and what they were trying to do to me um and all that because they were Look, there's lobbying behind the scenes by the pornography industry, lobbying behind the scenes by the pharmaceutical industry. Remember, the pharmaceutical industry makes a fortune because of Kinsey and Playboy and all the rest of this. We have abstinence doesn't make anybody any money, you know. (laughs) Uh, Marriage, uh, you know, decent, uh, you know, marriages that that are intact, it doesn't make anybody any money. Venereal diseases, as they pour out of the industry, are making a fortune. Uh, Viagra is making a fortune. Those, the one that they're building for for women, is making a fortune. Um, the the sex change operations are a fortune. The pharmaceutical industry is involved in the shutting down of the truth about Kinsey, and the shutting down of the truth about all of this sexual deviance. A hundred percent. So has so are the pedophiles, pedophile information exchange group, uh, the uh, NAMBLA, North American Man Boy Love Association. All these people have positions in high places. Uh, all these people have money backing them. The Soros money is backing like crazy. So it's not just Rockefeller. And and Ford, because they've all given money to the Kinsey Institute, and Hefner has given money, um, and they've all given money for sex education in the classroom, uh, because it's very important for them to keep the children sexually active. And again, that I started to say... uh, Obscenity exemptions. There have been uh, there's been an obscenity exemption that has allowed pornographic material to pour into the schools at the grammar school level. So all of this is is very involved, and I'm at the tip of the spear, it seems. And most of our organizations that are so-called anti-pornography really don't have me, you know, don't have me lecture at the at at their conferences anymore. So I mean, there's a lot going on. A lot I don't know, you know, behind the scenes. I can't, I don't know what, all the things that are going on, but I certainly have my finger on quite a few. Didn't didn't uh, the Kinsey Institute even try to sue CNN for having you on to talk about your findings at some point? Oh yes! Oh my goodness! Yeah, they threatened to sue. It was Pat. Um, Pat, Pat Buchanan, uh, right? Pat, 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 Pat. Pat Buchanan. Pat, but Pat Buchanan. Yeah, they threatened to sue Pat Buchanan and and uh, his 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 liberal colleagues. If they had me on, and 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 they threatened to sue me, and so then I went on their program, and uh, his liberal friend, what's his name, uh, Buchanan Hayden, Hayden, disagreed. He said, "Oh, Kinsey wouldn't do those things. Oh, no, 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 that's not possible." So by the time I got through the, that with that program, he said, "We we should dig him up and put his head on a." Post, you know, and anyway, so so that's the danger of my research really reaching mm-hmm. people. It can change, and it does change people dramatically. How, yeah, how, it does. How old are you now? Eighty-five. 
And you haven't slowed down even a bit. No, because I'm waiting for somebody, uh, other people to pick this up and do something. If the Library of Congress said Kinsey's, Kinsey's book is one of the 88 that has changed the world, well, they said change the country, but I would say change the world, why isn't everyone listening? Why aren't our people, why aren't our people, uh, you know, uh, raising this up? All of the masturbatory defense, all of the uh, defense of of abortion, all of these things are traceable to Kinsey to a great extent, or a little bit lesser, but to a great extent. Why isn't every Why isn't everyone getting on the board? On board. So I guess uh, the final question before I ask you where listeners can find your work uh, would be when you look at the culture war, uh, you know, you're 85, which means you've seen this in, in pretty much all of its manifestations. You've seen the porn plague metastasize from Playboy uh, to the 24-7 online, you know, jumper cables hooked up to the libidos of 11-year-olds. Uh, you've seen the sexual revolution go through all of the paces. So what's your analysis of, of what the future looks like? Do you have any hope for what the future looks like, or do you think it's pretty grim at the moment? Well, it's pretty grim at, at the moment. There's no question about that because of the changes in the human brain that take place from generation to generation. We're, we're really looking at, uh, at epigenetic problems, you know? So, yes, it's grim. However... There, if if some of the people on this Jordan Peterson, uh, uh, these other people on the youth, on the dark web, if they would finally pick this up, although they seem to regard it as too hot a too hot a topic, it's possible because they have millions and millions of readers and viewers and so on. Yeah, and there's that opportunity. Now, one of the big problems, of course, is that so many people are being shut out. Uh, they're being censored. Uh, yeah, it used to happen, of course, when we had newspapers, everything was censored. We had an open door with the Internet for quite a while. But lately, in the past couple of years, the Internet with Zuckerberg's control and these other guys, you know, they've been deplatforming and demonetizing people and so on. So that's a huge problem. But um yeah, if people don't wake up, your 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 kids are are absolutely uh destined for a nightmare. They are not inheriting the Judeo-Christian world which made civilization possible. Read Thomas Sowell, I say if only Thomas Sowell if I can get in touch with him, hello, Thomas Sowell, you know, or or William Walters or some of these other guys, you know, maybe we have a chance. Maybe. Where can listeners find your work? Well, I have two websites. One is an older one, and one is one that got kind of, you know, updated. Uh, and they're on, you know... J, uh, org and thereesmaninstitute.org. And on the YouTube, you can see all kinds of materials. And you can certainly go on my website, get my books. A lot of them you can just download free, you know, because it's your life and your children's life and your grandchildren's lives. 
which are not going to be as decent as yours were. Dr. Reisman, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this with us. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. I do appreciate so much. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Dr. Judith Reisman of Liberty University on the crimes of Alfred Kinsey and how his work, the Kinsey Reports, transformed the United States of America and then consequently transformed the Western world by triggering an international sexual revolution. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. If you'd like to listen to past podcasts, head over to LifeSightNews.com where you can find previous episodes. Those episodes can also be found on any of your podcast providers. And if you want to see news, opinion, commentary, and important updates from the front lines of the culture wars, again, head over to LifeSightNews.com. Thank you so much for listening. We do hope you'll join us again next week.